walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. Hey, we want to welcome everybody to You and the Law podcast show. This is our special um, episode of uh, as we come up on the uh, Martin Luther King holiday. Uh, I am one of the co-hosts of the show. Virgil Green, and as always, the bearded guy that's got the hat on tonight goes by the name of Chief Swaggy One. How you doing? What's up, bro? Man, not a whole lot, brother. How you doing? I'm good, bro. I um, let's see another day, man, and excited about this show. And uh, you know, we're coming up on uh, MLK holiday. And so, uh, man, excited. Just really excited, man. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing good. I'm doing good, brother, man. Just uh, just trying to trying to stay warm, man. And uh, looking forward to uh, to the ML King holiday. Uh, quite a few uh, events I'll be uh, uh, attending uh, this week, this weekend. And uh, looking forward to to being a part of those uh, um, celebrations to in honor of Dr. King's uh, holiday. And, you know, Keith, I, there's an event I'm going to be part of where the there's a lady named uh, Rose McGee. She's the owner of Sweet Potato Pie Comfort. And uh, she makes these sweet potato pies. And she actually uh, uh, took some sweet potato pies down to Ferguson, Missouri, when the whole uh, incident that took place down there many years ago. Mm-hmm. And so she's going to have something like 94 sweet potato pies that her her uh, organization uh, will make. And there is going to be, um, everybody will be carrying one of the sweet potato pies. And I didn't realize that Martin Luther King would be 94 years old this, this Monday. Yeah. 1929, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you know, and I guess as we talk about the topic today, you know, we talk about ML King policing in America the last six, the last 50 plus years uh, makes you wonder if Martin Luther King would be alive today. Uh, how much would things be any different with knowing the impact that his voice had on civil rights back in the sixties and the things that he was able to accomplish with so many others, but it just, it it makes you wonder in this conversation, uh, would things be any different uh, some 60 years later, almost? Man, I, I don't know. Um, I, I will tell you, I know he would be very pleased when we've had our first black president. I think he would be very pleased with the different civic programs that's been started. Uh, the number of uh, 
minority businesses, uh, the, the, the melting pot that the United States have become. But I, I do think, uh, and uh, I'll speak freely, I do think that he would really believe that we have gone backwards when it comes to voters' rights, mm-hmm. uh, and when it comes back to uh, violent crime. Uh, and I think when it comes down to the fact of police shootings of African-American uh, men and women, uh, I think uh, immigration, I think that he would I think that he would believe that those things still are uh, major problems that the United States is dealing with. The nation is dealing with when I mean, you think about the Civil Rights Act was passed in 63. That's 50 and almost 60 years ago. It's not a long time and that's our lifetime. Uh, and you think about, you know, talk about the Voters Rights Act and things like that and and all of the things that are going on, things that he went to jail for, things that people were killed about. I think he would be pleased with there is room for people to protest, peacefully protest. But also, I think he would be very disappointed with that there's still um, some law enforcement agencies are heavy handed uh, when it comes to uh, protest. And so I think uh, I think also so I think, yes, I think I would feel comfortable say 65 percent. He would be very he would be happy. And I think the other 35 percent or even maybe 40 percent, it would be absolutely it would be heartbroken. Yeah. Well, Keith, and, and, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, reminds me is the the. Uh, Civil Rights Act, I think it was a John Lewis, uh, I may not be pronouncing it the correct form of the legislation, but the John Lewis bill that was, uh, they were trying to pass last legislative session that did not get passed. Uh, The fact that you've got so many states who have kind of repealed some of the Civil Rights uh, Act of 1963, that, uh, it, you know, the fact that we're, and like you stated, that we're going backwards instead of moving forward. Uh, and, and the fact that, and, and I'm going to ask you this question, Keith, and for those who are listening, and you can, uh, you know, put your comments in the chat room. To some degree, do you, do you believe that we have kind of went almost, we we have not seen the things that, that we saw in, in 1963. I mean, well, why do you say that? We have. Oh well, I, I disagree with you on that. Well, and, and, and what I what I'm meaning is we've seen the type of police brutality, but we haven't seen what uh, people saw in '63 and '64 with people being hosed with water hoses and people being dogs being used on on black people being peacefully marching that we that we know about now you're talking about that maybe haven't made the news but you still have people being lynched uh virgil uh you still have people that are being uh uh that are not given their uh their miranda warnings and, and being put in jail for un un um you know unnecessary amounts of time i think mm-hmm. what we have to be really careful about is Although you and I were came along in that era, we did not live that era. I mean, we remember some of the things. We remember the tailing, but it's yeah. kind of hard to say that we have because it, it may not be to that exact incident, 
Yeah. But it could be something that's very similar. So something replaces something. Something, yeah. And and, and throughout this podcast show, you know, uh, I've got some, some video footage to show, especially when, you know, a part of Dr. Martin Luther King's speech that day, a lot of it was about so many other social issues. But as we heard in the clip that I played at the opening of the show where he talked about police brutality, they were talking about police brutality back in 1963 and that had occurred in the, for a very long time. And here we are some 60 years later, still talking about police brutality across so many communities uh, in, in this country. And we're talking so, about violence. We're talking about violence as a whole in the nation. Well, violence as a whole, police brutality. And I, I think there were just so many things that Dr. Dr. King and those a part of the civil rights era talked about you know, the social injustice, the poverty, all of those things are still happening uh, 60 years later. And, and, you know, and I think this is also a part of the Kerner Commission report that came out in what, 1968 under uh, President Johnson, who was president when uh, during the civil rights era, that all these things were known it, uh, back then, but as we've talked about on this podcast show so many times before, nothing came out of that Kerner Commission report. Well, it, it did. Something did come out. It, it, it well, it showed proved, about it. T- it yeah, proved what it, was it going proved on. What people have been saying what was going on. Yeah. Not yeah. Have there been any solutions to it? Did anybody at that particular time try to change things? And 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 you know to make those changes that were uh, brought up at that time? No. But have there been changes now? Have there been, have there been uh, efforts to make changes now? There has been. Uh, and so, and, and when you say John Lewis, man, I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to my, uh, my brothers of Phi Beta Sigma fraternity, our hundredth uh, and ninth anniversary. And John Lewis was, um, prominent member of our, of our organization. So when you talk about John Lewis, I got to shout out to the frat, uh, J nine one Oh nine. Well, you know, man, it, you know, to look back, Keith, at some of the horrific images of the, of what took place in Selma, uh, how John Lewis and so many others were brutally beaten by state troopers and local law enforcement back then. And for, for John Lewis to rise to the level of, of uh, where he became very uh, powerful within the policymaking uh, and the fact that you've got, you know, Keith, and I'm gonna say this, I think this last, this past week, we saw the dysfunction of our government on the federal side where it took them so long to uh, get a speaker of the house. And what gets me, Keith, is the fact that I saw these grown men who were supposed to be all educated and women, attorneys of women 
who acted so childish, who, you know, I'm watching McCarthy every time he stand up, he button up his coat and all this other kind of stuff. And he put on this persona and everybody says, you know, my friends on the other aisle, how much of a friend are these people? And it's only like it's in words only because there is no friendship there. When you have these grown people who have been elected to represent everybody, even for those who didn't vote for them, and they can't even pass a bill that that is named after one of their former colleagues, that says a lot about the steel racial divide between this country and our and, and those who are in positions to create legislation. That's a cold world out here, man. And 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 with with it being a cold world, and I put a cold world out there, and then put people who are entrenched with it, wanting to have power. And then when you have power, I mean, you think about this, man. You, you've got let's you've got three hundred something, or let's say three hundred people. And I know I may be going over, but three hundred people that are making decisions for the entire country. And you don't think people have their own hidden agendas? You don't think people are? Uh, in the pockets of other people. Oh, yeah. um, sometimes it's just about popularity. It's about power. Uh, it's not about doing the right thing. It's, uh, you know, because you, you think about it, and this is, this is either, this is Republican and Democrat. You think about some of the things that people say, and you're like, man, it really? I mean, some of the disheartening things that, that people say and yeah. things that the way, the way people uh, exercise First Amendment rights uh, up to a point of where you you can't say that it's uh, uh, disrespectful, uh, you know, it gets up to that point that you can't say it's even if you do, well, it's within the right. So people use, and I've always said that there are people who use the First Amendment to their benefit when they mean no good uh, to anyone else. And so, when, you, mean, you know, they almost got into a fight last week. Yeah. Uh, they, on, and these are the people that are making the rules. Yeah. Uh, almost got in a fight on the floor. Yeah, almost got into a fight on the floor. You've got people who have just lied about their character, who are being sworn into office. And you've got, you know, all these different groups who, like you said, they've got their own agenda. And we as Americans are caught up in the middle of that. And it makes you wonder, you know, even the people who have voted for them to be there because they are there because of people voted them into these positions. And whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, uh, if you're not there for the right reasons, uh, that's, we are going to continue to see this country be so divided. And the fact that when president Obama was in office, you saw how basically Mitch McConnell then basically said, we're not going to we're not going to allow you to pass any kind of legislation that's going to really impact this country as a whole. He his administration literally had to fight to get things passed during his eight years in office 
and and, and so and, and it just kind of reflects on you know as we talk about the ml king policing in america in the last 50 years what has policing done to eliminate eliminate police brutality the the the, the platform is there the training is there uh, the courses are there. Uh, the continuing education is there. So we can't say that the platform and, 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 and resources aren't there. If, if anybody says that, that's totally false. They're there. Correct. Uh, it's the fact of how are we holding people accountable? I mean, who leadership, 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 you know, are you pushing that? <clears throat> uh, these are the, these are the four, these are the things that you will follow when it comes to uh, protests. Uh, are you sitting down with the leaders of these groups that are getting ready to to march? Uh, whether it's uh, you know it's and and people ask, well, how do you do this? I remember in my time as a police chief, I mean, sitting down with members of of the KKK uh, to let them know, hey, um, you know, you have a First Amendment right to protest. However, these are the rules. Yeah. And so when you when you do that, you know, sitting down with members of the um, uh, uh, the Occupy movement, uh, hey, this is what we expect. I think are we doing that? You know, are we just wiping people off because they are Black Lives Matter or because they are, uh, you know, K- KKK or some form of extremist? Are we because someone is extremely uh, liberal? Are we brushing them off and not having meetings with them? Uh, are we showing favoritism for groups that we may have um, something in common with? And so that's the thing that we're doing. Are we are we just saying we're doing that? Uh, yeah. And and that's a lot. Are we uncomfortable uh, as a chief, uh, as a black chief? Are you uncomfortable going to a predominantly uh, white community or predominantly Hispanic community as a uh, white chief, are you uncomfortable going into a predominantly African-American community uh, to talk about it? You know, are your policies online where people can uh, question or ask question questions? Yeah. So so the platform's there. Uh, there's never been a better platform. Uh, we've never had, you know, although I'm a, I, I know how social media can wear you out um, and, and not be a friend sometimes. I think sometimes it can be a positive when it comes to law enforcement about getting things out there about your organization and the things that you're doing. But it's all it's all about it's only as good as the person who's carrying the message and who's implementing the philosophies and what their expectations are. Yeah. Well, well Keith, you know, I'm going to ask, you know, you made reference to, you know, black police chief, white police chief, both, you know, black police chief going into, you know, predominantly white uh, area uh white police chief coming into a predominantly, you know, black community. Um, and, and as we talk about ML King policing it in America in the last 50 years, um, what's your opinions on do, do black police chiefs have a much better sense and knowledge of what's going on to where they're able to go into any community to speak with the white community, 
the black community, the Latino community, the Asian community, the L the LGBTQ community versus a and not to make this sound like it's a racist uh, suggestion, but is there a difference in how the two are able to go in and build and, and talk and build some positive relationships? Yeah, it depends on your heart and your sincerity. Uh, it, it depends on what your what's your reason for being a chief. Um, all the things that you're saying in those processes to get you the chief job, do you really mean that? Do you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and the, and the thing about it is, man, it's all about what your heart is, what your intentions are, what your passion is, how humble you are. Um, yeah. Do you just assume because you're the chief, people are going to respect you? Um, are you saying one thing to the community? You know, are you a, a black uh, chief saying one thing to uh, the African-American community, but you're going back to your command staff saying something that's something totally different. opposite. Uh, yeah. Same thing on the other end. Uh, and so I think that that's, that's the deal. I think that there are uh, African-American chiefs that do have a broader understanding of uh, what's really going on in the country, what's actually going on in those communities and what is needed. Uh, I think there, there are those who have that ability to to break that tension or to, or to even start a conversation on how to break the tension. Yeah. But I just, I, I'm, I know guys that I've worked with black and white, you know, chiefs that man, they, they say one thing. And then when you really talk to them and they're afraid to do it, they don't believe in it. Yeah. Uh, the main focus is they wanted a chief's title. So I think it can be done. As a matter of fact, I know it can be done. I know it's, I know it's part of the job, but I think some people forget that. Yeah. Well, well, Keith, and, and, you know, and I think that's the, the thing, you know, as we talk about, you know, ML King and everything that he did during the civil rights era, the fact that John Lewis, you know, what was one of his, his favorite quotes, uh, you, you got to, what was it, Keith, uh, you got to, do something to good good trouble. What was it? Good trouble, man. It's good trouble, yeah, good man. Good trouble. Good trouble. Good trouble, man. If and, you're gonna get in trouble, get in good trouble. Get in good trouble. And and so I've seen, and you have as well, I've seen blacks, people who look like me and you, who man, they're they're not finna cross that 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 line to speak out and say some things. Even though it's good, but they are so afraid and worried about losing what they have instead of standing up and in calling out those bad things. Well, you 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 had a you had a supervisor tell you one time, I'm not gonna lose my uh my job. My 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 fifty some thousand dollar job is more important yeah. than what you. Uh, than, than, <laughs> yeah, than, uh, yeah. I'm gonna do whatever I can do, whatever I need to do to hold on to that. Yeah, uh, you know it's and that and that's one. Go back to when we talk about law enforcement, man. That's why I'm totally against law enforcement being a part of politics, and that's why I really have a problem with organizations supporting different candidates because it does become political. And um, and when you start doing that, then, you know, when you have a candidate that says, 
hey, you know, hit them upside the head or we need to use more force, uh, bring back the good old days, then you're going to be tied in with that as law enforcement. You know, yeah. you're going to be tied in with that. I, I hate to see I hate to see these sheriffs, man, on TV, you know, man, supporting, hey, you know, I'm going to vote for this person because he helped me put these criminals or, you know, and, and that's why I hate to see, you know, these, these politicians going around with these guns and stuff like these, right? This is what police need. This is what we need in the yeah. community. That, that ties us in with that. And then that's why people have a hard time. And then what happens, no matter what, you know, and to the listeners out here, no matter how impartial you think some officers are, I'm telling you, I've seen politics. I've seen the discussions about civil rights. I've seen the discussions about uh, uh, peaceful protest. I've seen those type of discussions split police departments. Yeah. Uh, you know, black on one side, white on one side, uh, Republicans on one side. And, and I don't care what people say, that does make it very difficult for people to work together for a common cause. But I have seen that. And yeah. so that is why I truly believe that you have to keep politics out of law enforcement, out of any type of public safety. Because we yeah. get pulled into the middle of that. I, I just hate, I hate to see that. I hate, I, I really do. I, I hate to see that. Yeah. Well, Keith, I want to remind everybody who's, who's watching this live on Facebook Live and on LinkedIn Live, as well as our, our YouTube channel, uh, that tonight we're talking about uh, ML King policing in America the, the last 50 uh, plus years. Uh, as we know, Monday is uh, the national holiday for. Uh, Martin Luther King's birthday. And so, you know, as always, you know, try to uh, participate in some type of, of an event program uh, to, to honor and recognize uh, this man who, along with so many others, fought for the, the rights that we have today. And, you know, he, you know, Monday he would be 94 years old. And, and Keith, and I think as we talk about this topic tonight, um, how many people are really still engaged with civil rights? Uh, there's so much going on. There's so much on social media. And some people who even probably watching our podcast show or listen to it, I, you know, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to listen to that um, because of just their disconnect. But then when something happens, then they've got a lot to say. And so um, I, I want to play, I'm going to play this, this clip uh, of an incident that took place in, in, uh, in New Orleans. Uh, um, and it, the reason when I found this clip, Keith, it reminded me of what took place with Martin Luther King and so many others back in 1963 and, and you know, in the 60s during the, the height of the civil rights marches. And here is a, a grown man who was shedding tears because of his encounter with these state troopers. And it took me back. And I remember I asked you this question and I, and I asked those who are listening, just how far have we come when it when it comes to 
stopping police brutality. Just watch this uh, clip and we'll talk about it on the other side. What we see is officers treating people less than human. What I think when I hear that these videos are delayed is that Louisiana State Police is working to get their story together. And that is a testament to the pattern and practice that exists, that we could brutalize people as a state official, murder them, and not have any remorse. Watching that, very disturbing. But also, it takes us back some 50, 60 years that Black men, how they were treated by state troopers, by police officers in the 50s and 60s, 
is still happening in 2021, 2022. And, and I asked this question, why hasn't the police brutality stopped when we've seen the beating of Rodney King, we've seen the choking of Eric Garner? All these things continue to happen and it is it is it is in the know that we are in this profession to change some things and and Reggie Wilson just said in the in the chat room wow because that Reggie that is a powerful video and what's most disturbing is that here is a grown man crying because of how these grown white troopers treated him Keith. I, I, you're, you're, you're on mute. I can't oh, hear you. People will argue with you. And I've had officers argue with me, uh, that, um, brutality has not, has, has, has not, has not, is not, has got brutality is, has been minimized. And then when you start talking to them, it's not that it's been minimized. It's the fact that it's got a new name and it's excessive force. So it's the exact same yeah, thing. Same brutality thing. As a force, but it's gotten, that's because you don't hear the brutality thing. The people say brutality, that might be the only term that they know, but to the point of it, excessive force. Um, yeah. And it, we all know that there's certain, look, let's just think about this. Uh, Mr. Green, he was terrorized. And for two to three years, those guys had been still riding around in their cars uh, like nothing's happened. Like, yeah, and, and I was at a noble uh, event last year in, in Baton Rouge and met the new uh, colonel for the state police, and we were talking, man, and he was basically in tears talking about what had taken place and how the the, the state had dropped the ball. When you when you when you see this, the, the problem that I think people need to understand is not the point of the excessive force it's the point of you've got people out here wearing guns and badges that still think that they can yeah. do it. and they and they're, and they're covered it up yeah and they disguise it under the fact of uh, uh, reaction to uh, resistance and so reaction to resistance means this person was resisting well if you you, you and I've talked about this the force of continuum you can always never go at a level before a level above what that the reaction or the action that the person is showing. But, you know, we've gotten to a point where it's, you know, I can punch you and I can justify it. I can tase you and I can justify it. I can articulate it. This is, this is the thing that people need to understand. People need to sit down and ask their police chiefs, what type of training, what does your statistics look like? I guarantee you that average citizen, whether it's black or white, does not under, does not, will not, or has not sit down and talk with their mayor, their city manager, their police chief, say, let me look at your statistics on the levels of uses of force and what the uh, demographics look like. Yeah. You know, when you start talking discretion, I mean, there, there are people, you know, Sarah, Sarah says that that's a very, when you start, when you talk to a lot of, African-American, especially civil rights activists, that's a word that they hate when it comes into related to police discretion. 
discretion and qualified immunity. Right, man. Those type you want to you want to go to a meeting and bring those topics up and start saying, well, officers have that discretion. Man, you know, you, you're gonna be there three or four hours listening to stories about discretion, and that's how we. You know, that's one of the things we never want to take away from law enforcement. But I think at some point we're getting to that point where we're going to lose the ability to say we had our we use our discretion. Yeah, because what's my discretion is different than your discretion. I think discretion. I still think discretion comes from the heart and the mind. It does. I think it has to. Yeah, I think it has to. So, you know, you know, Virgil, we talked about body cameras. Body cameras are an amazing resource. One of the best resources has ever been made for law enforcement. But until a body camera can tell you what's in a person's mind before they act the way they do is on the law enforcement end, mm-hmm. they're, they 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 you know, it's, it's not the catch. It's not the solve all. It's not the, it's not the thing that, that makes things better. Yeah. Because if it had, but it, but then again, if it had to be body corn cameras, we would not have had the evidence regarding the Brother Green situation or uh, uh, George Floyd or, or any of the other um, homicides that occurred. Yeah. We still got to realize we still don't have a way to measure someone's heart, soul, and mind. Yeah. Well, and Keith, and, and just like the incident that we're, that, uh, we're talking about now, the, the, the video clip that I played, they, those state troopers all the way up to the highest level you could get then with the Louisiana uh, State Police did everything they could to cover that up, to make sure that the public was not aware of that body cam footage. And if I'm not mistaken, Keith, we talked about something related to this on a previous podcast show where I believe a a black Louisiana state trooper uh, was terminated because he spoke out against this type of behavior from his former troopers at one of their, um, one of their troop divisions in, in Louisiana. So, you know, even those who, and we all say, you know, black and blue, if you ain't with the, if you black and if you ain't with the blue, then you're going to get treated just like anybody else. Well, it's going to be the same thing if you're, if you're white and you're not with the blue, if you're Hispanic and not with the blue, you're going to be ostracized and going to be an outcast. And there is that possibility. There's that probability that when you need some assistance, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get it. Yeah, that's just fact. I've been there. I've lived that. So yeah. that these are yeah. things that go on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Keith, I want to remind everybody who is uh, tuning into the podcast show that uh, we're talking about the ML King, uh, ML King policing in America the last 50 years as we as we come up on, um, you know, ML King's holiday this Monday. And uh, but we're talking about parts of of Martin Luther King's speech. uh, Then was police brutality, and there was police brutality that he was subject to. So many others were subject to before 
the March on Washington and even after the March on Washington. Um, and it's concerning the fact that we are still dealing with some of that. And Keith, I've got another uh, clip to play, and I hope those who are watching will will uh, will stay tuned and, uh, and and watch this clip because they have so much significance to what took place in 1963. And some and Keith, and I'll say this, and, and to those who are listening, how often do you, when as we come up on the ML King holiday every year, how often do you watch some of these documentaries that talk about the civil rights era, what took place back then? That's, yeah. Well, I will tell you that what I get from a lot, especially from a lot of uh, uh, the newest generation is that happened back then. Or, man, I couldn't have been a slave because I would have done this. Yeah, or man, that that stuff's not happening now, man. That's 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 what. So you get that response. Uh, we have some very special young people who, man, they still fighting the fight. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're, they're still fighting the fight. But when you tell me that you don't you don't vote because the the uh, your vote won't make a difference, and then when I start explaining that people have died, oh man, there you go with that again. Nobody wants to hear that. I shut yeah. down. Yeah, I I shut down. Because at that point, you, you you can't, you don't understand uh, that's bigger than you. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. so. Yeah. Okay, uh, and, and to those who are watching this, uh, I've got uh, another clip I want to play uh, that, uh, again, puts in the context of what we're talking about, uh, you know, the ML King policing in America in the last uh, 50 years. Segregation now segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. African Americans in Alabama have had enough. In spring 1963, in the state's largest city, Birmingham, they stage nonviolent demonstrations. Wallace responds. Protests are banned. Those arrested forced to pay high bail. Then, America's most prominent civil rights leader comes to Birmingham. April 12th, Good Friday. Martin Luther King Jr. and Ralph Abernathy lead a march from the 16th Street Baptist Church. arrested. It is here that King pens his now celebrated letter from Birmingham jail, defending the resistance of African Americans. In solitary confinement, he writes, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. The letter becomes a touchstone for the civil rights movement. You know, Keith, 
watching the, the beginning of that video where the that governor of Alabama then uh, so proud, so stood up there and, and talked about segregation now and segregation forever. Uh, you talking about the one where the guy sitting up there next to him smoking a cigarette with the yeah. leather jacket? Oh man, yeah. And 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 the fact that. Alabama back then was one of the, the most segregated states uh, in the United States. And, you, you know, there still is police brutality in Alabama. There's still police brutality in Mississippi, Tennessee, Arkansas, uh, Texas, Oklahoma. Every state has seen, has experienced a lot of police brutality and i have to say that i don't believe some of those who are in positions to change some things as we are and have been uh are there for the right reasons i think they want to say well hey we've got it posted on our on our uh website that you know we're about diversity equity and inclusion and we we're doing this and we're doing that it's just like you're checking the boxes off to say this is what we're doing but you're not really doing it when you are not being transparent with the public when these types of interactions occur between a police officer and somebody in the minority community especially in the black community well, you need to hear, you, you know, I wish the communities could be privy to the conversations that go on in boardrooms or in uh, in executive staff meetings. Um, you know, when certain, you know, supervisors or officers or briefings, when these type of things uh, are, are laughed at or, or, or talked, you know, talked about, I mean, you know, you hear stories doing the protest of uh, the George Floyd uh, murder and you hear about uh, SWAT team members and special response team members saying stuff like, I can't breathe, you know, and laughing about it. You know, who am I? Who is this guy? I can't be. I mean, you hear that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you don't address that kind of stuff, uh, I, I, you know, I tell the story about preparing for, uh, you know, as a police chief riding around the city um, looking at the protests during the George Floyd deal and and uh, before the officers were out there going into the debriefing and seeing white officers on one side and black officers on the other side. And as a chief bringing that up and say, you know, this bothers me that, you know, we're supposed to be together. And when you even walk into this, this situation that split the country, the country is so split at that time. But then for a chief to walk into a briefing room and see, white officers and supervisors on this side and black officers on this side with black supervisors. And then to say something about it and be chastised, you know, basically say I saw a segregated department and yeah. that means black and white, not just white, not but black and white and that. Yeah. How can you, you know, and to be chastised for that. Uh, that just shows you what the, uh, the heartbeat of the, of the, of the nature of the, of the profession is is that nobody wants to talk about the ugly things. They want to talk about the good things that we're doing, but nobody wants to talk about the ugly things that are the truths behind what we're yeah. doing. 
Well, you're right. They want to talk about the good things. They want to talk about, hey, we, we got out of here. We made these arrests. We done, which all of those things are good. That's what we are supposed to be doing to uh, protect our, our communities. But at the same time, what are we doing to make sure that every uh, demographic is feel, feels safe uh, with their encounters with the, with the police officer? You know, Keith, I watched a, 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 a video on YouTube uh, where the state trooper, I want to say up around New Jersey or somewhere, literally pulled the window, the driver's side window, and broke it and angrily and physically tried to remove the person out of the, the driver's seat. And it's like, at what point, how does your anger get to that level uh, when you're dealing with somebody on a traffic stop? And it goes, that's police brutality. That's we're, dealing with, we're dealing with humans, man. You know, we're hiring humans. Uh, and I think people forget that. You know, oh, they got to do that. There's not a test in the world that can find the most perfect human. Uh, and I think we do a really good job. I think some departments do better than others. But yeah. I think the thing about it is what led up to that? You can't tell me there was not an incident prior to that that yeah. didn't have the warning signs and signals and whistles that something was right. People just ignored it. I'll tell you that there's a there's a different method in policing when it comes to troopers. There's a different method in policing when it comes to uh, people believe there's a different method when it comes to the troopers. They believe it's a different method when it comes to sheriffs. They believe it's a different method when it comes to local uh, pattern. That's BS. Policing is policing is policing. Law enforcement is yeah. law enforcement. We all have to follow the same state laws, federal laws. Mm -hmm. Our policies may be a little bit different, but we all have use of force policies. I mean, it, uh, 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 response to resistance policy now. We all have deadly force death force policies, driving policies. So, you know, <clears throat> it's that we, we get that mindset, because I can tell you, troopers' mindset is, I'm out here by myself. I mean, they, they used to train that way. It was that mindset of the survival. I'm out here by myself, do whatever I need yeah. to do to survive. Yeah. I think they've gotten away from that. You know, we, we talked about earlier, is, has the, has things, have things changed? I will say, that on the educational and the state standard part of it, there are standardized processes in place. So I, I've seen I've seen law enforcement come more of a standardized educational process. Doesn't mean you have to have a four year degree, but there is some educational component of if nothing else. You have to go to the academy and there has to be continuing education. So we've seen that because there were times Back when we talk about civil rights, all you had to do was walk in, shake the police chief's hand or the police chief knew your daddy, your granddaddy or your granddaddy or uncle worked yeah. on the department. Shake hand, you're police. You can get no training. Here's your gun. Here's yeah. your billets. Here's your knife stick. Here's your slapjack. And here's your bullets. Here's no your training. Car. Here's your keys. Yeah. You're ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the scary part when we, when we look back at, you know, decades and decades ago. Of, of, and in how things were and 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 still keep in some small and rural uh towns 
that's still the case with some of these small and rural you know, police you know what, Virgil, I can't let you put that just on rural towns because there's some big cities that do the same thing, brother. There's some big cities that have that mentality, man. And so, and so not as many as rural areas, yeah. but it's just policing as a whole. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not the policing that I got into a long time ago. Thank goodness. But it's not the policing where we need to be. Yeah. It's not yeah. the policing that we need to be, but I, I can't, I can't let you put it just on small, small towns. Well, and I think, you know, I think there, the majority of that, you know, the percentage of that uh, comes from, uh, you know, smaller rural police departments. It, what meaning that you don't have to go through a process. You, the, the police chief knows your, 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 your father or your brother, your uncle, brother, uh, that but, happens but I know, but I know it happens hey. now in big cities because it's, it's all about who, you know, Hey man, try to put a nepotism policy in place at a department where you had brothers working with brothers, husbands working with wives, uh, brothers working for brothers, things like that. Try to put that nepotism policy. And the first thing people say is that you're telling me that, I mean, you're cutting out on you're you're damaging generations and generations of yeah of you know family no, family man. history yeah 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 um yeah. you know and sometimes you know pam says it right <laughs> sometimes it does look like hey what's the qualification for being a police officer well he can breathe let's see he can breathe he can he count doesn't, he doesn't have a criminal he doesn't have a criminal, criminal, history. criminal history yeah um you know man he uh he was in the he military was, even though he can't read, but he read, you know, <laughs> that's the that's the qualifications. You know, yeah. we forget about we forget about the back. You know, thank goodness, states do require psychological. But you know, I was telling somebody the other day, psychological tests. It's easy to get around that. Yeah, well, you heard in the Aaron Dean trial, um, the, the guy that killed the young lady in Fort Worth. You know, there was a psychologist that failed him. He failed. It, he failed it miserably. And he but still got hired. The state of Texas has an appeal process where mm -hmm. it goes before a board of three psychologists, and those three psychologists overrule this one psychologist and said, give this guy a break. And everything yeah. this first psychologist said in his report is the yeah. exact thing that they found out when he killed this young lady. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why the, the city, that's why that family is, is and I believe they settled but, but, why, but money, but money, but why yeah. should, yeah, why should, yeah, why should it, do that if you do your work yeah. on the front end? Yeah, exactly. And, and so, so Keith, you know, man, we're coming up on the last uh, minutes of the podcast show, man. And, and, uh, you know, as we talk about the ML King policing in America, the last 50 years and, you know, Monday is the ML King holiday. And for all, you know, a lot of people are off on some jobs, uh, there's a lot of parades that, that take place. Uh, and But the one thing that I see that's missing key is the emphasis to address these issues that Martin Luther King addressed, uh, uh, Megger Evers addressed, uh, Jesse Jackson addressed. All of these civil rights leaders address these things 
in the 60s and the 70s. And it seems like now, our this generation, it's all about who's putting on the best parade, who can get out and, and do the, you have all these kids dancing and, and, and doing whatever. And it's become a show and you've got all these different people putting their cars in the parade, nothing to really address and talk about police brutality, talk about social issues, talk about homelessness, talk about poverty. It's, it has totally gotten away from the purpose for the ML King holiday. I don't think people really, really have thought people now, um, have done their homework on MLK, have done their homework on Medgar Evers, have done their homework on John Lewis. You know, you left you left Malcolm out. Malcolm X, yeah. That, yeah, you yeah. got to put Malcolm in there. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, you got to put my frat brother, Huey Newton, in there too, man. Come yeah. on now. Come yeah. on now. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think uh, you and I just got to keep pushing these topics, man. And yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. And, and, and I think, you know, Keith, and, and you know, we're going to find ourselves right back here again on another Thursday in 2024 asking this same question again. 23. 23? It's 2023, man. Well, it's 2023 now, but I'm oh, saying I it next in January 2024. I got yeah. it. I got yeah, you. I got you. Okay. Come on, come on, brother. Keep keep up with me, man. You, well, I know, man, you, you, know you, you you say stuff. You say stuff a lot of times when you mix up. So I just thought that's one of your mix ups. So I just wanted to correct you. Man. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna find ourselves back here again next year, uh, talking about what has changed. What changed in twenty twenty three? Did we have was police brutality once again at the forefront? of the, between that that took place right so um so keith man you know as always brother it's it's always good to 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 get together with you brother and and have these informative conversations um on 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 our podcast show man it, it's good and i want to encourage people get out and and truly do something and celebrate the ML King holiday this Monday uh, and not just go to a parade and, and try to have a cookout. You know what, man? I, you're absolutely right. But I want you to come back next week and I want you to tell the listeners how many sweet potato pies you ate. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to eat one. I'm, I'm gonna eat you're you're going to eat a whole sweet potato? You're going to eat an entire well, I'm sweet not potato? Well, I'm not going to eat the entire sweet Everybody potato. Everybody heard you say you're going to eat one. Well, a slice. Come on, man. A big <laughs> slice? A small slice. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But yeah, all right, man. Anyway, man. All right, brother. All right. It's been good, brother. And uh and we want to thank everybody for tuning in and joining us. And uh we will see you again next week. We're gonna have on a special guest on our podcast show. So make sure you tune in for another episode of You and the Law Podcast Show. All right, thank peace. You. All right.